Do you have a hurricane plan? Even if you're 100 miles inland, it's vitally important to know what to do before one hits and what to do when it's over. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Pete Combs with your trusted source for business aviation news. In all of my years as a reporter, I've covered 14 hurricanes in the deep south and along the eastern seaboard, from Category 1 storms with winds of less than 90 miles an hour to Cat 5 giants with winds of more than 160 miles an hour. There are no safe hurricanes. I can tell you that from personal experience. I can also tell you that the best time to plan for a major weather event like a hurricane is long before one heads your way. So, let me introduce you to our guests. Zane Lambert is manager of flight operations at Sanderson Farms in Laurel, Mississippi, about 100 miles inland from the Gulf Coast. Sanderson also has operations in Georgia, North Carolina, and Texas. Dan Brown is a senior hurricane specialist at the National Hurricane Center in Miami. David Beeger manages the National Aviation Meteorologists at the FAA's Air Traffic Control System Command Center. He's also coming to us from Warrington, Virginia. And also at the FAA's Air Traffic Control System Command Center, you'll find NBAA's manager of weather programs, John Kosak. Now, Dan Brown, before we even get to hurricane season, let's talk about the storms we're seeing more frequently outside of the traditional hurricane season, June 1 to November 30 each year. Dan, these tropical storms are generally not as powerful as those we see during the season, right? Yeah, most of the time, the storms that form outside of the the typical hurricane season are are weaker. Uh, We did have a hurricane in uh, January uh, a few years ago, Uh, but in general, most of the May systems that we had recently uh, have been either subtropical or tropical storms. Uh, a couple have impacted the U.S., uh, but in general, those storms are, are typically uh, below hurricane strength. Dave, you want to jump in on this? Yeah, so uh, from our posture here um, at the FAA's Air Traffic Control System Command Center, uh, we're watching for those storms, uh, whether they're subtropical or otherwise, throughout the entire calendar year, and, and we're prepared to support uh, with that one. And so, you know, we will see those events happen uh, fairly early, um, and uh, we will support uh, just the same on those as we would uh, whether they fell within the uh, the typical season, but absolutely have have seen those uh, happen uh, early. Hey, John, tell me about what we do to help our members get prepared in the event of a tropical cyclone. Yeah, Pete. So uh, once the command center has determined that a uh, impact of U.S. territories or facilities uh, is imminent, um, usually within about 48 hours of that, they're going to start hosting um, daily telcons to get everybody together uh, and let everybody know what the expectations are for uh, those impacts. Once we get to that point, the air traffic services desk will send out updates twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening, based on those get-togethers and let our members know, you know, what we expect to have happen uh, during those impact times. If we're expecting significant airport closures, if we're expecting significant route impacts, different facility uh, impacts, uh, we'll try and put that all into the airspace alerts emails that we'll send out. Now, beyond that, if we get into some of these major events, uh, 
like uh, Michael and Harvey and Katrina that we previously spoke of, um, we're actually going to stand up an, an actual web page on the MBA website, which is just to be a single point of reference for all the different things that are going on, whether it's FAA-related storm information or recovery information, like how to get to the HERO database for the uh, NBAA. Right. So the HERO database is the NBAA Humanitarian Emergency Response Operator Database. What it is, is a list of business aviation community members who volunteer their aircraft and their people to help out in the event of a disaster. What happens is NBAA provides basic information about those volunteers to organizations that are providing relief services. So, Zane, your company, Sanderson Farms, is in Laurel, Mississippi. That's not very far from the Gulf Coast. How do you handle hurricane preparations? Well, our plan today is for the aviation department is a part of the larger corporate plan. We learned after Katrina a lot of things. It was devastating here, something that we'd never experienced. Um, And so we have a larger corporate plan that literally begins – days, even a week or more before a storm would, would hit land, uh, depending on, on which part of the country and, and how our operations would be impacted. So for us, aviation, we sit in on those meetings. We offer uh, advice and support where we might need, but we typically come in after the fact to support operations at locations uh, that may have had damage or things after the storm. The biggest part of the plan, I guess, that directly affects us beforehand is making a decision whether to evacuate aircraft and personnel if they choose to go out of the area. Zane, is that a challenge to try to get everybody out and get your airplanes out at once? It's not. We're pretty flexible. We fly a lot, so um, we're, we're moving every day. If the determination is made to, to move aircraft away from our home base, of course, first thing we look is what's the projected track of the storm after it passes us. We want to go the opposite direction. We open it up to our flight crews sort of on a volunteer basis. Some people are interested in leaving. Some have extended family and they want to stick around. We do allow and encourage it for crews that are evacuating aircraft to take their immediate family with them, wives and children or husband, whoever it may be. Certainly, we don't expect a a person to go off and and leave their family because they're going to be staying with the aircraft. So, no, it's, um, it's not that big of a challenge, really, to get them all moving. Do you have agreements in terms of where you put these aircraft when you move them out of a hurricane area? We don't. We have facilities in Texas. We have facilities in North Carolina. And, and those are places, airports, FBOs that we're visiting sometimes daily, at least weekly. So we're part of the family there. We're treated as base customers. And all we have to do is say, hey, we need to come visit for a couple of days and, and we show up. <laughs> Put the coffee on. <laughs> That's right. Uh, let me go back to Dan for just a second. How have forecasts improved over the years to keep guys like Zane informed on, for instance, issues about evacuation, that sort of thing? Sure. I'm, I'm happy to hear what uh, Zane was saying there, the, the precautions that they take. Uh, but the hurricane forecasts uh, have improved greatly over the past uh, couple decades. In fact, our track forecasts, we've cut those errors by about 60 to even 75 percent since about 1990. Uh, that's a testament to really better uh, technology, better modeling, 
we're seeing significant increases in our skill in those forecasts. With intensity, though, we, we still see some issues with how strong the storm is going to be when it reaches the coast. We saw that last year with Michael uh, and the fact that it strengthened more quickly than, than forecast. So we're seeing some progress in that area, but we still have a ways to go with uh, knowing just how strong that storm is going to be. Dave, tell me about how you work with Dan and his group of people to try to help folks in the NAS avoid these storms or get out of harm's way in a hurry. Absolutely. So uh, we take those products that the National Hurricane Center produces and we use that to craft together uh, briefings and messages that directly speak to the impact from that event. And so we know and we understand what the thresholds and limitations are as a result of that. And we can translate that into something that a decision maker can then use to take action on. And we will brief the position fix, the track forecast, that intensity forecast, and really try to hone in on on where those greatest impacts are going to occur for a location and how early they're going to occur because it can really be incremental and a decision maker may need to know about things like the onset of tropical storm force winds in order to get their folks uh, out of harm's way after safing equipment or to evacuate a facility and so you know, we will communicate those impacts very far uh, in advance, as far in advance as we can possibly do it to allow for for safe decision making. Let me go back to Dan for just a second. And I want to ask about storm surge warnings. In the 2017-2018 season, the National Hurricane Center started issuing these warnings. Why is that important to us and how does that help business aviation as, as a whole? Over the years, storm surge has historically taken the most lives in hurricanes in the United States. Oftentimes, you know, each storm may only uh, produce a few storm surge-related fatalities, but occasionally we have these really big events, such as Katrina back in 2005, which we've already talked about. Uh, so uh, when we put up a hurricane warning, it was traditionally trying to cover both the wind and the storm surge. But because maybe there's different actions that folks should take along the coast, we want folks within those storm surge evacuation zones to, to leave those areas. And then if you're in a well-built home further inland, you could actually stay and not necessarily have to leave. So it was a way to highlight these areas that we're most concerned about for a life-threatening storm surge. That's why we instituted this new watch and warning. Uh, we think it's starting to kind of move the dial as far as getting people to really understand their storm surge risk. Hopefully heed those evacuation orders that are issued by their local emergency managers. In the last few hurricane seasons where we've seen such uh, devastating storms in the United States, we've seen only five storm surge fatalities, and those were in Michael. We hope folks are heeding these warnings and listening to their local officials and are evacuating from storm surge. Well, of course, storm surge isn't the only flooding risk associated with a hurricane, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, inland flooding is also a, a significant risk. That can occur not just along the immediate coast, but uh, really hundreds of miles inland as these storms move inland and, and weaken, maybe slow down. Uh, we saw that with Florence, Harvey the year before in the Houston area. So we do really uh, need to be thinking not just about the wind and hurricanes. I know wind is uh, you know huge for aviation and, and, and having aircraft uh, in harm's way, but it is also about the water. And there are many airports that are in these storm surge uh, risk areas uh, and can flood. And uh, it's just something else that uh, really uh, should be considered. Uh, Hurricane Center does issue various uh, products to help uh, provide uh, what the chance of receiving both wind and surge are. So hopefully folks uh, know about those as well. 
And if I could follow up on that as well from a command center perspective, so the FAA during some of these major events will stand up what it calls its Joint Crisis Action Team. And you can think about it as a, a emergency operations center for air traffic operations. And we are taking that information that Dan mentioned as well, and we're packaging that um, into to decision quality support. And in fact, not just storm surge, um, inundation, tide data, inland flooding, the excessive rain, all of that really gets as much attention or quite frankly, at times even more attention to those decision makers because you really are, you're not just looking about how I can support effective decision making to put uh, equipment into a safe storage posture, but also evacuating and getting personnel out of that risk area or Will the basement of a tower in one of those inundation zones be flooded and lead to a, a protracted closure of that facility? Um, and then on the backside of that, trying to get get your staff back in to reopen facilities, to get equipment back up and running, to stage aircraft for recovery. And so it's great to hear that from Dan because we're taking all of that information and and using that communicating that to decision makers as well. It's it's more than just wind. It's not just wind. And I think sometimes people think from an aviation perspective that that's, that's all it is, but it is absolutely so much more. Well, and Hurricane Florence proved that point quite well. John Kozak, let me ask you something about, Dave was talking about standing up a team uh, to deal with, with some of the effects on the NAS. How do we fit in there in BAA? Having the air traffic services desk right there on the uh, operations floor, we're conveniently located in the same place as all these decision makers. So we have the, you know, the National Weather Service that's represented there. We have people from all over the NAS, including the folks who do the technical stuff, the ones who make the decisions on when to let the local radars start to windmill in that wind that we were talking about, the people who make the decisions on when to evacuate the towers or the tracons or the en route centers. So we have firsthand knowledge into that decision-making process. And again, that's something that we can pass along through those emails that I was talking about earlier. We'll be trying to socialize that on Facebook and Twitter a little bit more as well. Our location on that floor as part of that whole crew gives us the ability to ask the questions as far as, you know, when are we going to be able to get recovery flights in there? How do we go about getting recovery flights in there? Because as we know, business aviation is one of the greatest ways to accomplish that task. Let me ask Zane, what about returning to your base after the hurricane has passed? Yeah, that's interesting. After Katrina, obviously we lost all communications what cell phones existed back then, uh, everything was gone. We were able eventually to communicate. I was actually in an aircraft we had evacuated to Florida of all places. Who thinks of going to Florida to get away from a hurricane? But it took us two days to make contact back home and find out if our airport was usable. We operate out of an uncontrolled airport to begin with. But just that making contact and being able to, to get information that the runway was clear, that the ramp was clear, that the buildings were still there, and get the aircraft back in. We had to land short somewhere where there was still power and refuel to make sure we had enough fuel to get in 
and back out then to support company operations. A lot of places in our community after Katrina, we were without power for up to two weeks. We've learned a lot from that about staging assets and fuel and portable power and those things. Uh, You may be able to get the airplane back into the airport, but uh, are you going to be able to do anything with it once you get there? Yeah, just wanted to add to that. That's that's all really important stuff to think about. Uh, and it's one of the things that we urge members to do when we send out our alerts. Sometimes there's some issues with managers noting an airport closed and then they head out of town. You know, they want to get to safety, too, just like everybody else. So like Zane said, you know, you have to find that manager. That's the only person in many cases that can get rid of that NOTAM that's keeping that airport closed. So for companies to reach out and have that kind of contact information ahead of time would be really great. Zane also talked about once we get there, can we do anything? And and that's the important thing to remember. You know, we're talking about storm surge it's really hard to you know move around an airport that's got a bunch of fish on the runway that's probably not really good for the gear not only that but maybe you can get into an airport but can your people actually get off the airport that's a that's a big concern this is zane that's uh we learned that last year where we're based we're not we don't have issues with storm surge but when rivers start rising uh, last year, our facilities, our operations in North Carolina, eastern North Carolina, were impacted by rising rivers. And we had instances, days after the storms and the rain had passed through where the skies were beautiful and the weather was great for flying. But we could, once our people got to the airport, the airport was usable. They could get no more than a mile off of the field, and then all the roads were closed. Everything was flooded, so there was there was nobody could you could get to the airport and from the airport in an airplane, but not in a vehicle. Yeah, that's a great point. Just because you can get back in doesn't mean you can get around. So it would be a bit much for the uh, command center to have to start keeping track of all of that, but it does factor into the decisions that they're making regarding staffing. So in preparation for these massive storms that we're talking about, these hurricanes that cover miles and miles and miles, they will try to have extra staff in place because they know that in some cases that staff is likely to be trapped there. Obviously, these are volunteers, not voluntold, but they're doing the best they can, but that still means that they're going to have limited capabilities in certain parts of the national airspace system. And again, being in the command center, we'll be able to relay some of that. And that is based on the exact same issue that Zane has. Can they actually get to the tower at the airport? Can they get to the TRACON? Can they get to and from the en route facilities? Can we get people out to repair things that have been broken during that storm? So, All this is really important, and having a plan for before and having a plan for after are just as important as each other. That makes perfect sense. I want to go over to Dan for a second and talk about a couple of things that we see in the graphical depiction of a hurricane as it's moving through the ocean and toward land. We see this cone of uncertainty, but I don't think people really understand what that means. I see a straight line inside of a cone. What's that all about? 
Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the cone of uncertainty. It's uh, it's a great product to get a quick briefing of where the hurricane may track, but it really is not a very good product to tell you where the hazards are going to be. It really, again, was designed more just to give that quick overview of, hey, here's the potential storm may be coming in our general direction. The cone maps out the uncertainty, but it tells you nothing about where the most significant surge is going to occur where the winds are going to happen, and really even most importantly, where the rainfall is going to occur. And oftentimes, uh, those hazards extend well outside of the cone. As our track forecasts have improved over the past several decades, that cone has gotten smaller and smaller. But the storm size, uh, they're the same as they ever were. And so there's just more and more impacts occurring outside the cone. So I really would encourage folks to use some of the other Hurricane Center products, uh, such as the wind speed probabilities, such as the storm surge uh, inundation map that we put on our website at hurricanes.gov that shows you the risk. So what is the chance of getting hurricane force winds? What is the chance of getting a storm surge inundation at your location? Those are the products I really encourage folks to use in decision making. Let me uh, ask one last question of Zane as we wrap this up. And that is, Zane, between hurricanes, how are you interacting with your uh, airport manager and the staff there to basically have a plan for before and after a hurricane? Well, it's part of just reviewing what you have every year. We do this corporately. And from some of the things that were said a minute ago, I would encourage other managers and other flight departments, don't be an island. Don't just be unto yourself at the airport. I like to think those days are gone where the flight department is just a bunch of folks out at the airport and they're kind of a standalone thing. But be part of your corporate emergency response plan. All these things we talked about a moment ago, the knowing if highways and roads are open or not and these things, that's not my expertise. But we have people in our company that it is their expertise. They, We deal with the airplanes. We talk about, can we get you safely to the airport and use these facilities? But in this greater meeting, then there are other people that can say, well, our resources are telling us these roads aren't open. Our resources are telling us there's no power here. So just be part of this greater machine, not just the aviation department, and, and it all works great. But you've got to exercise it. You've got to work this plan. It has to be revised. It has to be modified. Our plan, we probably get updates um, two or three times a year that things are changed. Phone numbers change. People's addresses change. Managers and directors of, of different organizations, be it highway, transportation, aviation, those things all change and they need to be updated accordingly. So be part of the greater plan. John, in the event of a hurricane coming near or over the airport, we'll see one or two different types of NOTAMs. What are they? We were talking about airports being notumed closed, and there's there's two different things that can happen to an airport. First is they go ATC zero. There's a difference between ATC zero and being notumed closed. If a facility is ATC zero during a hurricane, that most likely means that the staff has been evacuated for safety reasons. If that is a TRACON or a center that airspace will be gobbled up by the nearest other uh, TRACON or center facility. Of course, we're not expecting a lot of people to fly through there, hopefully, so uh, that shouldn't create too much trouble at that point. But there will be a time when these facilities are devoid of FAA staff. Towers, you know, it depends on, you know, a number of factors, but at some point they're expecting the winds to get too high and they're going to bail out as they should. 
but that's different than an airport being known and close. ATC zero just means that that refers to an uncontrolled airfield. If that's a uh, tower, that's ATC zero. That does not necessarily close the airport. Right. And you'll see that in, in a notum about the facility. That won't necessarily show up in a notum. That's one of those things where you kind of got to have a relationship like Zane was talking about. And that's the sort of thing that we will try and publicize as well as we can through those hurricane updates that we send out during these events. I do have one last question, and that is, after a hurricane, sometimes we've seen activation of, of the HERO database. And I'd like to leave it with that question, John. Tell me a little bit about the uh, how you can get involved and what you can expect as a member of the HERO database. So that, the, the Humanitarian Emergency Response Operator database is, is just what it sounds like. It's it, it's where our members can go. And if they want to be part of the recovery efforts anywhere in the world, really, for some of these events, they can just sign up there. Uh, it's really easy. Just go to our brand newly redesigned website, pop in Hero Database in the uh, search, and you'll get right to the relevant page. That's NBAA Weather Programs Manager John Kozak speaking to us from the Air Traffic Control System Command Center in Warrington, Virginia. Also there in Warrington was Dave Beeger. He manages the National Aviation Meteorologist there at the command center. Dan Brown, a senior hurricane specialist at the National Hurricane Center in Miami. And Zane Lambert, who manages flight operations at Sanderson Farms. He came to us from Laurel, Mississippi. Now, if you're looking for more weather-related information, you'll find a clearinghouse of sorts at nbaa.org weather. Not only will you find out the latest on what the weather subcommittee is working on, but you'll find links that'll help you find graphical aviation weather forecasts, the convective weather forecast, and the National Hurricane Center. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan podcasts at Apple's iTunes website or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Pete Combs. Thanks for listening to Flight Plan.